Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is Crixie. I'm uh, also a lead pastor here. Um, this morning when we met for pre-service prayer, um, actually like a, a couple of groups had a sense that God was going to be doing something really fun um, and like meeting with us as we worshipped him. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happened. Just there, love, uh, love our times uh, worshiping God together. Such a fun, um, joyful time to get to worship with you guys today was really special. Um, so far, I'm sure there's going to be more to come. Um, sweet. I'm excited to get to talk to you today, you guys. Um, we're going to be talking about grace, and um, you might have heard that it is amazing kind of is. Um, but over the course of the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be doing like a little bit of a deep dive into grace. And I'm betting that we're going to find there's more to it than we thought. And it's even more amazing than we thought. Um, because sometimes I think like at least practically, um, we have an idea of grace that is actually kind of narrow. Um, and it can leave us missing out on some of the good stuff that God has for us. And um, maybe sometimes even a little uncertain if we're on the right track or not. And I say it practically because grace is something that I think that um, we understand more clearly in its application. Do you know, like I feel like we really know when we have received grace. And we really know when we haven't <laughs> received grace. But it's, it's kind of hard to actually like define. It's hard to tie down. And just for fun, this week um, I had a little read of the Westminster Shorter Catechism because there's still some Presbyterian boy left in me yet. And it mentions grace 13 times without actually defining it ever. Um, it talks about a covenant of grace. It talks about God's free grace. It talks about a kingdom of grace. But it doesn't like tie a definition up with a nice little neat bow, um, which is fair, um, I suppose, because it's kind of complicated and there's a lot to it. And, you know, like I'm, I'm okay with us needing then, therefore, to use our own brains to look at the biblical data and see where we land. Now, usually um, I like telling stories and usually you like to, to, to keep the big reveal or like the big payoff for the end of a thought so that you get some sense of achievement of like what you've been investigating. But uh, this time um, I'm going to start at the end so that we can track across the next few weeks um, what, what we're going with. It, it's helpful to have the big reveal at the start so we know where we are going um, because um, we're going to be thinking about um, how there are three um, dimensions of grace and we're going to be seeing about what that looks like in our lives. We're going to be thinking about how they interact with each other and we'll be thinking about what it looks like if we're really strong in that dimension or maybe if that's um, something that we need to grow in. Um, cool. So let's get started. There are three um, dimensions of grace and I suppose the one that we're probably the most familiar with um, is the one that we're going to start with today, and that's um, unconditional 
acceptance. So if we're going to get all um, theological uh, today, um, that kind of means we're talking about adoption. And um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism does define adoption very helpfully. It says that adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have the right to, uh, to all the privileges of the children of God. It actually says sons, not children, but whatever, you get it. So here is where we are getting that from. I've got three verses for you here. Um, adoption is an act of um, God's free grace, like according to God's love. That's 1 John um, 3, verse 1. And that gives us the right to be his children when we receive Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 12. And since we're children, there are benefits for us and massive benefits at that. Romans 8, verse 17, um, grace is amazing and adoption is amazing. But what's even more amazing is that there is more to it than that. Like over the course of the next few weeks, um, we're gonna dig into like some other dimensions of grace that mean that we are cleansed from sin. Um, Francois, if you could grab that next slide for me. Sorry, I forgot to put the little note in, uh, in my notes. Um, but um, we are cleansed from sin and we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works. Like those are all um, dimensions of grace and they all interact with each other and do things. So we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna be looking at that next week. Um, very exciting. Um, and the week after also very exciting. Very exciting, but kind of like can get our head like tied up in a little knot because um, for the course of like the next, like maybe like five minutes or so, I'm gonna try and ask you to take forgiveness of sin out of grace, which feels like a weird thing to say. Or I'm gonna ask you to take like being powered by the graces, the gifts of the Holy Spirit out of grace for a minute and that also feels like a weird thing to say because we kinda wanna just like isolate and focus in on the unconditional acceptance piece. It does feel weird because we think I'm unconditionally accepted and welcomed into God's family because I'm forgiven and that is true. Um, and we're also gonna be thinking, well, I'm, I'm accepted into God's family so I want to display the family traits, I wanna do the things and that's also true. We're trying to isolate this one dimension. Spoilers, we're not gonna be very good at that. But that is at least what we're trying to do. And we're gonna look at this dimension in action and we're gonna be looking at 2 Samuel chapter nine and we're gonna be reading all of it. So if you've got a Bible with you today, now's a good time uh, to look that up. Um, but if you don't have a Bible with you, that's cool. The words are gonna be up on the screen as I read. Cool, so Second uh, Samuel chapter nine, verse one says, David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of, God, of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? I'm your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? And Ziba said to the king, um, there is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered, uh, you'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, said David to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, 
What is it? What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? And then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons and your servants are to work the ground for him and you're to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, enough people to get the job done. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. Beautiful. Okay, so since we are thinking about unconditional acceptance being an act of God's grace through adoption, here is a story of David doing that thing. He's pretty much adopting Mephibosheth into his own family, and the end of verse 11 shows us that David treats Mephibosheth like he was going to treat um, his, own, his own sons. And it reads like a nice story, but there is a lot going on here, so let's break it down for a minute. Um, here's where we're at in chapter 9. Um, David does show grace to Mephibosheth. And we know that from verse three that Mephibosheth had been living with a physical impairment. And the story of how he sustained his injuries can be found in chapter four, which centers around the political assassination of Ishbosheth. Um, oh, excuse me. Um, it all comes at a really chaotic period in Israel's history because Saul was the king, right? He was the king, but David was also anointed as king. So there's two kings kind of at the same time, kind of, and one of them is actually the king, but he's not actually doing the job. And one of them is anointed as king, but he's not really the king yet, but he is going out and he's kind of doing the king job, except when the other king is literally trying to hunt him. So it's messy. Like, it's, it's pretty messy. And then Saul died. And his son and heir, Jonathan, also died in the same battle. And that looks like it clears the path for David to be made king. And he is made king. But Jonathan wasn't Saul's only son, wasn't Saul's only heir. So there is a civil war, and that's when Ishbosheth, who is another one of Saul's sons, is made king. Back to having two kings, back to being really messy. What's going on here? You're laughing at my lame jokes? Yep. <laughs> that's me. Um, cool. So um, when we hit chapter 4... We're hitting it in the context of like this civil war and it being messy again. And then these dudes go and do an unauthorized assassination of the king, of Ishbosheth. David did not agree with that. He didn't know about it until they had done it. He punished them for doing it. Like that wasn't what he was about. But Ishbosheth was dead. So then David was made king for real again in chapter 5. So during that assassination attempt in chapter 4, uh, Mephibosheth was five years old. And in an attempt to um, save his life, his nanny scooped him and was trying to escape, but she dropped him and he injured both his feet and um, he, he didn't recover from, from those injuries. Um, but once David, that was then, once David's reign had been established, he did a bunch of king stuff and Israel experienced some peace for like the first time in like forever. 
So a bunch of time has passed in between the first time we hear about Mephibosheth in chapter 4 and the next time we hear about him in chapter 9, probably somewhere in the like 13 years zone. So that would leave Mephibosheth being like, I don't know, like somewhere like 18 to 20 years old at the time of chapter 9, somewhere in that zone. And the reason why this context matters is because Saul's family have been a threat to David's reign like since before his reign actually started and um, he's being nice to them now but that threat from their family is going to remain like all the way through. Um, the book uh, of 2 Samuel, we see that pop up again and again. David's reign is threatened a lot. There really is genuinely nothing for him to gain from showing kindness and grace to Mephibosheth. Ziba gets it. Mephibosheth gets it. They are very, very, very keen to make sure that David knows that they are his servant. And Mephibosheth even goes as far as calling himself a dead dog just to drive the self-subordination point home. They want David to know that they are not a threat to him um, because they are expecting aggression from David. They're expecting him to have summoned them so that he can eliminate a political rival, and the political rival being the, the house of Saul. Anyone left is a rival, and instead of aggression, they get grace and kindness. So here's a little takeaway for us today. Um, when we show grace, we show grace without expecting something in return. David does show grace to Mephibosheth without expecting anything in return. So what's the deal? What's his motivation? What's in it for him? Well, his motivation is that he wanted to. He did it because he wanted to. And he did it because of a covenant promise that he had made with, um, oh, excuse me, with Mephibosheth's dad, Jonathan, who like David was close to, like a brother. We shouldn't think that David is acting out of pity for Mephibosheth because of his condition. That's not what this is about. Mephibosheth's condition was not unique to him, like other people have physical impairments, but... David's treatment of Mephibosheth was unique to him, not done out of pity. We shouldn't go thinking that Mephibosheth earned this grace because he didn't. Like before this event, David even wasn't aware that Mephibosheth was still alive. We also then therefore shouldn't go thinking that um, David is forgiving Mephibosheth by showing him grace. Again, he wasn't even aware that a dude was still alive when he decided he wanted to show grace. He's just doing it because this is an expression of pure, unconditional acceptance into a family of one person by another. It is worth mentioning, I suppose, that there may be a generational factor at play here, like because David doesn't just show grace to Mephibosheth, he shows it to all of Saul's family. And um, here we might see like a little bit of like a restoration or forgiveness, peace, David forgiving, um, like the house of Saul. Um, as a whole rather than Mephibosheth as an individual, whatever, we could see that. And we could also see an element of empowerment where like Ziba and his uh, family, extended family um, and household are given a job to do. Like we were trying to isolate this unconditional acceptance piece, but it is kind of hard. It's hard to isolate those aspects of grace, but probably because we shouldn't try to do that because there are three dimensions of grace. Here's our Venn diagram again and those things um, interact with each other and they need to sit in balance with each other in our hearts because if we're doing just one of them or if we're doing two of them and leaving like other ones out then things get um, a little weird. 
Um, what I'm going to help, uh, what, I'm, what we're going to talk through just now is something that has really helped me um, in the past, and um, I kind of used this thing to help other people just to identify like a little place of, uh, like a place where maybe we need to do some uh, some growth areas or like some developmental areas. It's something that has been really helpful to me. Um, I'm going to give you my example of how I used this in a moment, but for a start, I want to let you know what I'm talking about. So um, it's not impossible that people could have um, an idea of grace that is so warped to one dimension um, that it leaves out two. And having a really strong sense of being unconditionally accepted into God's family without practically living like we're cleansed from sin or having any like desire or being compelled to do anything good and live for Jesus uh, isn't, isn't too rare unfortunately, and we can see this as entitlement. So people who live with like this kind of like narrow understanding of grace, like they want the perks of living in as part of God's family, but without any of the responsibilities. Um, where I come from, that probably most commonly looks like, like people who are nominally Catholic, or I'm a Christian because I'm a Protestant unionist. That's what it looks like where I come from. But people who like say like I'm a part of God's family, like maybe they are a part of God's family, but they're just not really doing anything about it at all. That's not uncommon. However, I don't really think that it characterizes like this church or the people who make up this church. So we'll just move on. It's more likely that we're strong in two areas and need to grow in another. So it's kind of in this zone that the little arrow is pointing to um, that we're gonna be talking about today. What happens if we don't have a strong sense of unconditional acceptance? So Jamie is a really good feedback giver. And I am a pretty good feedback receiver. Um, when we lived in Portland, I, w I went back to seminary, and um, when I was doing an assignment, I got her to read it. Um, if you were here last week, you'll be like, oh good, personal growth, Crooksy. You can do an assignment and start it and finish it on time. I know. Go me. Well done, me. So Jamie reads my assignments, and she would give me some really helpful feedback. Feedback like, Crooksy, this sentence is way too long. And I'm like, yep, oops, guilty as charged. I write like I talk too much. Guilty. She'll give me feedback like a this sentence makes no sense. And I'm like, all right, yeah, oops. See, I wrote this thing, but then I went back and changed the start of it. And now the start of that sentence doesn't make sense with the end of the sentence. What I really mean is this, guilty again. She'll give me feedback like, Crooksy, this assignment is really boring. And I'll be like, what you going to do? <laughs> Guilty. Anyway, last Sunday afternoon, Jamie gave me some feedback, and she gave me the feedback that what it sounded like in my message was, here are six membership commitments, and if you just do them, then you'll be doing more good person stuff, and then you'll be doing less bad person stuff, and then you can live a sinless life. Ta-da! <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> So um, I answered her by telling her that I was setting myself up for this week, which was true. Turns out I just wasn't setting myself up the way that I intended to set myself up. We'll get back to that. So here's how 
um, I'm setting attempting to set myself up. So if you weren't here last week, if you were in Oslo or something, then um, here's last week's message in a nutshell. We want to walk worthily of our calling. We're called into God's family, to his kingdom, into his glory. That's great. That's like being called into the family. That's adoption. That is unconditional acceptance, grace. And because we are part of that family, and we want to like live like we're part of that family which is good and God gives us gifts that we can use for the benefit of other people and that's great that's the empowerment dimension of grace right there and because we'll be doing good things and the good things will go up then the bad things will go down and that's the being cleansed from sin um, dimension of grace I was setting myself up so good I did such a good job and like a little bit of tension in there oh did he really mean that and then you'll show up this week and you're like he's so clever turns out not as clever as I thought (laughs) turns out not as clever as I thought but I did still set myself up because as I went away and thought about what Jamie was saying to me, I thought, yeah, right, you're right. Because I did come across, like I told you last week, I'm really task-driven, so I did come across like, be empowered by the Spirit, take that grace, receive it. Am I, did this thing go off? Is it still going, can you still hear me? Good, sweet. Um, get the empowerment, do the things, that's great, then you'll become more like Jesus in how you relate to personal practical holiness and more. Those two dimensions of grace really, really featured in what I was saying. But the unconditional acceptance part, eh, not so much. Like, I knew it was there, but it just didn't really come out so clearly. So I'm starting to think that I live in this zone where I have two dimensions of grace that are at play in my life that express themselves more strongly, I'm living in this zone. It's not like I have no idea that God unconditionally accepts me, I do. It's just like those other two, maybe a bit more strongly expressed in my life. And what does that zone mean? Well, that zone means this. It means legalism. Dun, dun, dun. And Jamie knows me. She nailed it. She was like, you did that thing. And I thought, no, I didn't. And then I thought about it later and I thought, yes, yes, I did. I absolutely did that thing. She knows me. But because I've never known, uh, I've never thought of myself as being a legalistic person, or at least not the way that I've thought of legalism, because I've always thought of legalism as somebody who is like some like super duper, like rule follower, perfect Christian. I'm a child of God, of children of God, and I'm sitting up on the highest horse and I'm judging you for not being as good as me. I am in the club, like I'm, pre- I'm like oof, in the family, yeah, I'm like, whoa, see me? You wish you could be me. That's how I've always thought of legalism. But thinking about what Jamie said and like thinking through this stuff helped me to see that it's not like I have a bloated sense of like I am the childiest child of God there is. It's not a bloated sense of like being accepted that is making me kind of like lean towards the legalism thing. It's my insecurity in that. I'm not insecure in my salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I do have an understanding, of course I do, of like my unconditional acceptance. It just doesn't come out so strongly as, uh, it doesn't come out as strongly as the other things. So it means that like practically I end up doing something that kind of just looks like I'm going to keep doing these good things. Because if I keep doing these good things, then 
the bad things will go down and the good things will go up. But if I stop doing the good things, then the bad things will go up and then God will not be happy with me. Maybe he'll remove some kind of blessing from me and I won't have the acceptance from him that I really need and I'll be missing out. But if I just do good things, then God happy because crooksy good boy. That's kind of the way that like I act. It's not what I know to be true, but just sometimes that's how it comes out. Do you know what I mean? And it makes so much sense to the way I'm wired. I'm like, I'm a task-driven person. And it makes so much sense to the way I'm wired. I don't need, here's the secret about me. I don't need to be right, which is handy because I'm often not. But I need to be accepted. Like that's my big thing. You might notice this from when you're having arguments with your friends or your coworkers or whatever, or your spouse or whoever it is that you argue with most. Some people will be like, this is the way it is. This is the right thing. And some people are just like, well, I was just trying to do this and I was feeling this and I was thinking this. And, and the other people will say like, I want you to be like, yes, actually I was wrong. You were right. And they'll think, okay, whew. But I want people to say, actually, what you did kind of lousy me by see why you did it. And yeah, like, I can see that. Okay, cool. I accept you. I forgive you. Like, that's kind of that's what I need. So I'm the one who's looking for the acceptance all the time. It makes sense to how I'm wired. So I've got these, like, little insecurities where I really, 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 really need acceptance. And those insecurities push me towards doing more things so that the bad things will go away and then because of those things I will be accepted. That's kind of the way that I work. But it kind of feels like I want the acceptance but I end up like drifting down towards the bottom of that Venn diagram because I'm trying to do the things. My craving for acceptance ends up that I have a weaker sense of acceptance. See where I'm going with this? I've got like these like, I know my acceptance with God is unconditional, but then I project these things onto it. And I have these self-imposed conditions that I think if I only do this, then it'll be fine and there will be acceptance for me. That's not how it works, but sometimes that's how it comes out for me. I'm not trying to say that living a life where I'm pursuing personal practical holiness is bad. I think that's a good thing. And I'm not trying to say that being compelled and having a desire to like do good things for God and be empowered by his spirit is bad. I'm not saying that like those six membership commitments that I outlined last week are bad. I think all of those things are good. I think they're all good. So if I was thinking, ah, I'm doing, I'm leaning on the doing stuff too much. If I thought, I need to do less things. That's not the way that I'm going to fix this. Sometimes it feels like that's the logical thing. You're trying too much. You're doing too much. Do less. But I don't want less cleanse from sin grace. I want less empowerment grace. I want more grace. I want to bring those things into balance in my heart by having a stronger sense of my acceptance before God and keep those things strong. Look, I'm not trying to turn this into Crixie's confession booth, but I did find this really helpful as a, like a little diagnosis tool because it turns out that I have like this legalistic leaning that I didn't even really think that I had. So if this is uh, relating with you on any level, I um, would love to share like some points of focus for us so that we can receive 
um, unconditional acceptance, grace in our hearts. First one is this, like keep what is strong, strong. Like same thing that I just mentioned, like you're not going to get more grace by having less grace in your life. Like keep doing the things, keep living empowered, keep pursuing personal practical holiness. We're not trying to take grace away, we're trying to get more and receive more. Last week, we looked at a few verses in Ephesians chapter four, in which Paul tells people that they should make every effort. Like, we need to go for this, we need to work at this, we do. It is involving doing stuff, and taking our feet off the pedal isn't going to help. But if we're not gonna change our actions, well, something's gotta shift. So what's gonna shift? It's not our actions, but our motivation for the actions. Sometimes it's not what you do or the way that you do it. That's what gets results. It's why you're doing it. It's why you're doing it. So I'm thinking, am I motivated here to glorify God? Am I motivated here to advance his kingdom? Am I motivated here to be more like Jesus? Or am I trying to make sure that God will notice me and accept me? What's going on in here? Because one of the big problems with legalism is that on the outside, you probably look like you're doing like good boys or good girls things. It's at the heart level where our struggles lie is kind of what's going on on the inside. So it's worth paying attention to what our heart um, is saying. Leaning towards the legalistic side is something that you can like see on the inside. It's rarely a completely internal thing though, because usually we project our expectations out onto other people. So we need to pay attention to what our heart is saying. Like, here's one. I find myself encouraging and complimenting people who also do a bunch of stuff. Because that's a thing, like my heart is showing me that's my value. So the people that I actually need to emulate a bit more are people who have that unconditional acceptance thing, but I find myself drawn to people who do a lot. And I don't think that's particularly uncommon, especially at churches that are probably at like the stage and the size that we're at. We really appreciate your service here. Really appreciate your service here. So when we see it, I am like very keen to let you know that we appreciate you. But because that's my value, maybe I don't spot the ways that you're showing other people and giving grace to other people in a way that shows them that they belong here unconditionally. I miss that, because that's maybe just a way that my heart isn't quite as uh, in tune with the Holy Spirit as yours. So that's a thing that I do. Maybe that's a thing that you do too. Do you find yourself getting annoyed at people who aren't doing enough? Hmm, am I asking you or am I asking me? Anyway, like we have these things that we do where we project our values outwards and then we're either really happy with people or disappointed in them. And um, paying attention to what our heart is saying is a really good way to just take a little check and think, is there unhealth growing up in here? Like, am I putting too much hope in a good thing, but like overvaluing it? Am I undervaluing some other like really important things? What's going on in here? helps us to see if there's ill health growing. Sometimes also it's, it's really helpful um, to see when our motivations are good and we see that we are making progress, it's great. It's good to ask ourselves, what's my heart saying? Our hearts aren't always, always, always wonderfully reliable. 
Um, I'm quite an emotional person, but I like to use my emotions as output rather than input and like take my guidance from them because sometimes you're in the moment and you're like, yes, I really feel this. And then you go away um, later and you think about it and you have a more accurate and measured response to it. I like um, not to take my heart too seriously all the time. It's helpful to ask what is my heart saying. It's even more helpful to ask what is my God saying. Like that's, that's a way, way, way better question. Because there are spiritual realities, like things that have shifted for us that just will not change no matter what we do or whatever. Um, and people like me, or if you're like me, people like us need to remind ourselves that those things don't change. And we need to make those reminders for ourselves frequently. It's important to show grace to yourself. So let's go back to those verses that we started off with today. And we can see that it's God's love that means we are unconditionally accepted. Not what we do, it's his love. And it's a great love. It's a great love that means we can be children of God. And in that verse, there is like a a repetition for emphasis and reinforcement. And there's an exclamation mark like we are children of God, a really emphatic statement. God loves you. He really loves you. He loves you greatly. That's fun. And for those who have received Jesus, we have a right to be a child of God. Um, A right. That's like strong language as well. It's not like we're talking about how you could have an opportunity to be a child of God if... Like we're talking about a right, something that cannot be taken away from you. That's a really big deal. And being a child of God means that we have privileges and benefits that Jesus shares with us. And if we're suffering for him, then we'll know that we're on a good path. Now, um, words like rights and privilege um, are pretty loaded words um, in in these days. And um, they're things that have been, uh, they've taken on like a really like kind of, like tainted and, and colored and flavored with like the, the injustice that can come a lot throughout like human history where rights and privileges have been abused. Like a lot of the time when we think about privilege, we think about the privileged few who have access to this thing, but everybody else doesn't. Maybe some people kind of have access to it, but there are people who will never, ever, ever have access to this thing. Like, and privilege is seen as like a pretty, a pretty negative thing. Um, but just so we can remember, like, this is something that God is sharing with us. He gives us privileges, and God is fair and equitable, and he makes these privileges available to everyone who will accept his free gift of grace. Like, don't hear the words right and hear privilege and think, because uh, I have to say, like, whenever I read this this week, I thought, yo, like, that, that's a little bit sticky. Um, but this is good. This is really good because God is fair and he gives access to his, uh, to, to his family, to everyone who will accept him. That's cool. Um, people who lean towards legalism, um, just to sum up, they, they need to find security. And the good news is that we can find it in God because he is un- there are just these unchangeable spiritual realities that he offers to us if we accept them. And they come about because what God has done for us, he is good, he is loving, he is faithful, he is reliable, and that is music to my little insecure heart. It's great. But maybe if you're thinking, right, well, Crooksy, I can see that in you, but that's not really my thing, to be honest, like that's not really my thing, then great. I'm so glad that you're not struggling in, in any way 
with insecurity of your acceptance, that's amazing because you can be a really important resource to the people in this church who just need that foundation. Do you know, like you're going to be the people that we can look to to try and emulate as people who are examples of like showing a strong understanding and a strong expression of this grace, um, this unconditional acceptance grace. You can remind us um, of our security um, when we're trying to do too much and we're trying to earn it. Um, you can maybe speak into our lives to make sure that we are adjusting our motivation back to where it should be. Um, you can help us and remind us of the actual reality of things when we are being annoying and demanding and judgy. And um, in advance, um, I apologize for being annoying and demanding and judgy. If you feel that from anyone in this church who kind of leans this way on behalf of this church, I apologize already. Please forgive us already. I'm gonna appreciate for you uh, doing that. Um, cool. Maybe mentioned I'm quite emotional sometimes. Anyway, sweet. Um, you're gonna be a really helpful resource to this church and as you disciple, just by expressing the grace that God has given you as you show it to other people, um, you're gonna be really, really, really helpful. I have got a couple of challenges for me this week, you might also find them helpful. Um, this next one is a bit of an ongoing challenge. And uh, when you're doing your Jesus time, like get your journal, flip to the back, start a new list. And I want you to build up a bank of verses and scripture, like biblical truth, like unshakable, unchangeable realities um, that you can use to remind yourself of your unconditional acceptance into God's family. And I want you to go back to that frequently and remind yourself of it. Start by those verses we looked at today. I see people taking pictures, great idea. Write them down, make sure you've got them. And as you're like doing your Jesus time, keep adding to that, keep adding to that, keep adding to that. So you've got like a really good solid foundation and remind yourself of it. Go back to that list like once a week and pray through it. And your prayers can be things like, God, I'm sorry and repent of times when you have been, like maybe you've been judgmental or maybe you've been demanding or maybe your legalism has come out like this. Um, you can declare over yourself that you are a child of God and you're unconditionally accepted and you can thank him for that and you can ask him to like give your little motivations a shift back to reflect his heart um, for, uh, for people. Good times. Um, the second one is find someone that you know well and that there's a strong element of trust there and invite them into like speaking into your life in this area um, Jamie was able to speak into my life and like maybe like I didn't quite um, I didn't quite see the whole picture last Sunday uh, afternoon but then I did see it eventually you need someone that you're able to receive it from because if somebody is speaking to your motivations then that can be quite a hard one, to be fair. So make sure it's someone where there is a solid foundation of trust there. And um, if you're thinking, I really, oh, I'm not wonderfully sure that I'm comfortable with being like, hey, your motivations are all off, then remember that, like, invite someone so they know they have permission to do that. Invite someone to do that so that they know that you trust them. And um, if you are somebody who is going to be helping direct um, towards unconditional acceptance grace, like do that gently and lovingly and um, it'll be really good. Um, have someone that you trust doing that and you, you'll probably know who that is. Great, um, more to come next week and the week after um, and uh, I'm excited for that. But for now, uh, let's, um, let's move into a little time 
of reflection. Um, let's just stay seated um, for this first little moment, and I'd love to pray for you, and then I'll talk you through what uh, the next little part of this, of this gathering is going to look like. Uh, God, we love you, and we thank you for, for what you did and for who you are and the things, that, uh, th- the things that don't change, like you're faithful and true and you're reliable, and uh, some of us maybe are just like a little bit um, tossed around a bit sometimes, God, and I pray for security uh, I pray for a receiving of um, a fresh of uh, a fresh sense of your unconditional acceptance, grace, God. We are children of God. We love you, and we thank you for that. Um, it's yeah, like that's incredible. It's just incredible. So God, I, f- I pray that uh, frequent reminders, please, and I pray that um, it hits hard, and I pray that um, the relief that comes from knowing. Um, and the relief that comes from like being secure um, in your family um, would be just uh, like really like a glass of water on a hot day uh, for people in this church today. God, we receive your grace in your name. Amen.